Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning again. It is so great to be with you today, and uh, I just wanted to um, begin the message today because I actually want to talk about last week, because last week, if you were here, uh, Pastor Gary introed the message by talking about this idea of change, right? And uh, he had shared some pictures on the screen. Do you remember all those pictures on the screen, one of which wasn't even really Christian-like toward me? I mean, that wasn't even really nice, right? I mean, I made Gary to be the rock, and what does he make me? A cheerleader. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Um, That uh, that really hurt, Gary. That hurt deep in my heart. Well, I want to piggyback on this idea of change for a moment, and uh, I just wanted to talk about change a little bit in a different way. So here's a question for you. How many of you walked in today and you went to your seat? Same seat, same section, every Sunday that you went to, and guess what? Somebody was in your seat. If that's you, can I tell you that you are the people who don't like change, okay? (laughs) And if somebody sat in your seat or the seating was messed up because of some other reason, can I just say, it's going to be okay. So just breathe, breathe. (sighs) Who knows? It's a new beginning for you. You might like your new view, okay? So, um yeah, it's, uh, it's this whole idea of change, this whole idea of change. That's kind of what we talked about last week, if you missed the message. We uh, landed on this question, and the question was simply this. What does God want to rebuild in my life? What does God want to rebuild in your life? I, uh, I'd love to hear what God is saying to you personally. What does God want to rebuild in your life? You can email me at adam at pathwayschurch.us. I'd love to hear what God is saying to you. You know, a few weeks ago, I had a lunch with a guy who said, you know, God wants me to rebuild my relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he had set a goal in 2024. He said, I want to be in person X amount of times. I want to be in the row. And I thought, wow, that's, that's really cool. And so I would love to hear what God is saying to you. What do you need to rebuild in your life? Now, the month of January, culturally speaking, is effectively a month for self-improvement, right? We talk a lot about refocusing or reflecting on the past, and we ask ourselves this question, so like, uh, what, what do I need to rebuild in my life? But notice, our question is different from the cultural question. Culturally, we'd ask ourselves this, like, what are my goals? What are my resolutions? What do I want to rebuild in me? But our question is this, God What do you want to rebuild in me? Notice the difference. It's a huge difference, isn't it? So that question that we started asking last week was really, it stems from the historical background in the Old Testament book of Ezra. And if you missed last week, let me just give you a brief historical summary. Let me kind of bring you up to speed. Starting in 605, 605 BC, the Babylonians came into Israel and to the people of God and they invaded. They deported and they pulled, they exiled all the captives into Babylon. So God used Nebuchadnezzar as Jeremiah, the prophets Jeremiah and, and Isaiah said, hey, listen, if you continue to worship idols and you turn your back against me, God said this to his people, I'm going to lift my hand of protection and blessing in your life, and I will discipline you so that I can restore my relationship with you. 
Well, that's exactly what took place. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came in, and they reduced the city of Jerusalem to rubble, destroying the temple, Solomon's temple, the very place, the house of worship where the people of God came and they would seek the Lord's presence. It was completely and utterly destroyed. But God also said to his people, after 70 years through the prophet Jeremiah, I will bring you back into your homeland. Well, that's exactly what took place because 70 years later, what God did was he raised up Cyrus, the king of Persia, who overthrew Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And then in this astonishing twist to the story, Cyrus, the king of Persia, said to the Israelites, you can go back to Jerusalem and you can rebuild the temple and you can rebuild your city. So why would Cyrus do this? Well, if you have a Bible, we're going to go to Ezra chapter 1. Turn your mobile device or your paper copy of the Bible, and let's go to Ezra 1, and let's answer that question. And as you're making your way there, I want to pause for a second, and I just want to make a comment about a current-day event in Israel, all of the conflict and the war that's taking place. Let me just make a few remarks about what's taking place in Israel. Friends, Hamas and Hezbollah's actions are evil. They're evil. And to the degree that the Jews are involved in any acts that goes against God's word, the Bible, that is wrong as well. It's wrong. Either way, it's wrong, okay? Anything that goes against God's word is wrong. But the loss of innocent life, we can't stand for that as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ. All right. Now, for America, for our nation, what are the implications? What's the practical application to what's going on in modern-day Israel? Well, number one, any view of anti-Semitic language or prejudice against Jews is absolutely wrong on any university or college campus, and we can't stand for that as Christians. That's wrong. Any form of prejudice is wrong. Any, any form of innocent life is wrong. It's just wrong. We, we, we can't have that. And anything that goes against the Bible is wrong. So you would say, okay, Adam, so what should we do as the church of Jesus Christ? Well, we do what the word says. The word says in Psalm 122 that we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So we're going to pray that God would bring his peace in Israel for all people at the end of service. Okay? All right. So let's go to Ezra chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation. The scripture says that the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus. Now, know this. Cyrus was not a Hebrew. He was a pagan king. He was a Persian. He was not a follower of the living God. Yet God gave him the desire and the motivation to let the people of God go back to Jerusalem. It was God who moved Cyrus's heart, just like God moved the heart of his people. If you drop down and look at verse 5, it says this. Look on the screens. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God moved, had moved. There it is again, that phrase prepared to go up and to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Now, you might be thinking, well, of course, Adam. Wouldn't like all the Jews want to go back to their homeland, back to Jerusalem, and rebuild 
build God's temple, rebuild their, their homes or their lives? Like, yeah, like, duh, right? Well, not actually. See, for many of the Jews, the hundreds of thousands of Jews, they had lived 70 years under Babylonian captivity, meaning that they had built new lives in Babylon, new homes, new families. Another generation had come up. They had forgotten. They had never been to Jerusalem. Going back to Jerusalem represented a change, and we all know how much we like change, don't we? Not to mention 900 miles across some of the most rugged terrain in the Middle East with no jacked-up Ford Broncos and designer hiking boots. They had camels and sandals, 900 people, with babies and kids and problems. I mean, like, like why would you want to go back and rebuild? Life is comfortable in Babylon. Like, let's just... what. I mean, this represented a change, a new beginning. And yet God had moved a group of people, had moved their hearts. He had placed the desire in their hearts, the desire to go back, to endure some of this change, to rebuild. Just like God has placed the desire in your heart. He's speaking to you about something that needs to be rebuilt in your life. It's God who moves hearts. He did it back in biblical times, and he does it today. He's moving some of you, whether it's to be in the row or to look at a relationship or to rebuild. Maybe it's a, it's a form of forgiveness that you need to extend. Maybe he needs to rebuild some of your attitudes, or maybe he needs to rebuild something inside of you as you look into this new year. God is speaking to you. He's moving your heart. The heart is the most important thing to a human being because the heart represents who we are in front of God. It's the throne of where we make decisions and motivations and attitudes. Everything is triggered from the heart. It's the heart. It's the heart. So God not only moved Cyrus's heart, but he moved a group of people from in Babylon who were the Israelites. He moved them to go back to Jerusalem. Now you ask the question, well, how many people are we talking, Adam? Well, approximately 50,000 Jews went back. And these Jews were known as a remnant, as a remnant, a remnant. They were remnant people. Everybody say remnant. They're remnant people. Now, remnant people are found all throughout Scripture. And you might be asking yourself, well, what is a remnant? What's remnant people? Like, who are they? What do they do? And, uh, like, what is even a remnant? What, What are we talking about? And here's the big question for this weekend. How does this even apply, and what difference does it make to my life today? Like, really, Adam, you're going to spend the next 20 minutes talking about remnant people? Like, big deal. Like, I have real life problems. What does a remnant have to do with me? Well, let's begin with just remnant and how we see remnant in our culture today. If you ever get new flooring in your house, right? Get some new carpet and then you have uh, something that's left over. It's leftover pieces of carpet from a larger portion of carpet. That's called a remnant, right? And those remnants, they're typically uh, purchased at a discounted prices. They're not of extreme value or worth because they're the leftovers, if you will. It's a smaller portion from a larger part that's really kind of left over. It's a remnant. Now, in Scripture, however, a remnant is actually 
of extreme value, unlike how we have a negative connotation in our culture, because it's not just something that's like a leftover. It's left over for God's special purpose and design. See, remnant in the Bible, those groups or individuals have a specific calling, a mission, a purpose. These are people of destiny, raised up for a specific time to accomplish something that is undone to get done because they're get it kind of done people. So when we look at Ezra, these 50,000 Jews represented this remnant who went back to Jerusalem to do what? To rebuild God's temple. Just like God wants to do inside of our hearts, he's selecting, he's calling a group of us to rebuild some things in our lives and also to be a part of rebuilding and reworking what he wants to do in his church called Pathways. So let me share some examples from the Bible when it comes to remnants, those left over from a larger group, all right? I'm going to give you three examples from the Old Testament and three examples from the New Testament. In Genesis chapter 6, we have a first remnant that we find is Noah. Remember what Noah did? Noah built in, what did he do? Big boat, an ark, right? He built this ark, and after the floods came and everything was destroyed, it was Noah and his family who served as a small remnant. What was their purpose? Was to repopulate and reinitiate a fresh start for earth because sin had so was so pervasive, and so God had to do kind of a, a redo. People weren't listening to God's ways. It was a remnant. Or in Genesis, we find Lot and his two daughters. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, and so Lot and his two daughters serve as a three-person remnant. Or in, in 1 Kings 19, Elijah, the prophet, he went up on Mount Carmel, and he had this showdown with all the prophets of Baal, and then all of a sudden, he felt demoralized. He was just, uh, he was at a place where he felt like God won the victory, but he looked around, and he said, am I the only one left? And God said, no, I have a remnant. A remnant of 7,000 individuals, 1 Kings 19, 18. Look at the screens. It says this. Here's how he would describe the remnant. Whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. They were faithful. They were unwavering. Now, those examples from the Old Testament are also matched by a couple examples in the New Testament. If you flip over to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul argues in Romans 11 that God did not turn his back on the Jewish people. Rather, God selected a chosen remnant to, to, to remain from the Jews. And this group of chosen Jews, they were chosen because of their adherence to grace, not to works. Not to the works to the law according to Moses, but God was revealing himself in the New Testament, and he was saying to this group of Jews, like, listen, I'm choosing you based on grace. This was the argumentation of Paul in the epistle to the Romans in Romans chapter 11. He writes this, so too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by what? By grace. Verse 6, and if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If you have any Catholic in you, this verse is really important. Okay? And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. See, what Paul is saying is that 
When Jesus Christ came, he directly introduced us to God's grace on the cross, and our right standing with a loving God is based on grace and not by works. So any form of moralism or any form of I have to work to try to earn my salvation based on works, that is an incomplete view of the full gospel of Jesus Christ. You are not saved by your works. You are saved by grace. Now, you are saved not from your works, but you are saved for good works. If you want to do some study on this, you can look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Paul says, you are God's workmanship. You are his handiwork. And he has prepared good works for us to do in Jesus Christ. That's the relationship. And so Paul says in Romans 11, there's a group of Jews who would be a remnant who are going to be raised up by grace. John speaks to this relationship between law and grace. He says this in his gospel in chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen. Grace and truth through Jesus Christ. But catch this. Here's the third example from from uh, the New Testament. John himself, actually it's the second and the third example. John himself was a remnant. John was the last surviving apostle. Out of the 12 apostles, John was the last surviving apostle. And so he was a remnant. He was the only one left standing. He was the only one who said, I was going to be steadfast in my faith. In fact, when he was taken to the island of Patmos, he was boiled in oil. He suffered for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Extreme suffering and torture. Many believe that John was the pastor in Ephesus. And so John was the last one standing tall and firm in his faith for Jesus Christ. Makes me wonder, how many of you are the only one left standing? Only one in your family? Only one at your workplace? Only friend that you know that you're going to have some boundaries and some steady faith, steadfast. You're going to stand strong for the Lord. You're going to exercise some integrity. Others might have dispersed and scattered and left you and talked junk on you, but you're a part of the group that's going to say, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be firm in my faith and my trust and my hope and my confidence in Jesus Christ. I wonder how many people are part of that group. Well, John was unwavering, and some 20 years later, Jesus inspired the apostle John, a remnant himself, to speak to another remnant, another group of believers. In the book of Revelation, first couple chapters in Revelation speaks to seven different churches, and John writes these words as a source of encouragement to a remnant group of people in the church of Sardis. And this is what he writes in Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. He says, wake up, wake up. Strengthen what remains. See, what, what John is saying is, I want to strengthen the people who remain. I want to strengthen the remnant. I want to strengthen them. Strengthen what remains and is about to die for. I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. What John is saying is there's some unfinished business for you to complete. You have a reputation this way, but I want to renew you, and I want to make sure that you're clean before God so that you can get some things done. And in the same way that John spoke to Sardis is the same way that I want to speak to you today. I want to strengthen you. I want to strengthen you as the remnant. 
as the people of God who remain here at Pathways Church, as the people of God who remain in Jesus Christ, when the world around us is scattering and chaotic and doesn't know upside down or right side or left side, they're all discombobulated. I want you to know that your faith is built on the rock of Jesus Christ. It's steady, it's firm, and it's anchored in his hope. Amen? So out of all the remnants in the Bible and all the examples, whether it's Noah or Lot or the 7,000 in Elijah's time or the 50,000 in Ezra, or whether it's the Jews in Romans 11 that Paul's referring to, or whether it's the church at Sardis, there is one remnant that is so blessed and so peculiar among people today. That remnant is known as the Church of Jesus Christ. It's a leftover group of a larger populace that says, I will build my life on Jesus Christ. Out of the 8 billion people, it's the true followers of Jesus Christ who would say, I'll be set apart to accomplish the plans and the purposes of God in my life and in this world. And friends, here today at Pathways Church, you're a part of the remnant. Some, not many, but some have left and have gone different directions here at Pathways. But you are here today because God has a calling in your life to be a part of this local body. And God has a calling on our lives collectively to accomplish and rebuild what God has in front of us. And he is preparing our hearts. Now you say, Adam, well, what's different about our church from any other church? Well, the only difference is simply this. It's our commitment level to the special purpose that God has designed all all churches to accomplish? Are we going to remain faithful to what he has called us to do? Now you ask yourself, okay, Adam, so what's the purpose of Jesus's church? Well, two words, two words. I can put it to you in two words. Jesus calls every single church that would lift up the name of Jesus to accomplish its special God-given task in two words. Those two words are simply this, make Disciples. Make disciples. Pathways Church is a disciple-making community. It's a community of disciples who are making disciples. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, go and what? Two words? No, 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 no. We're going to do that again. Jesus said... There are two things that were two words, two words that are going to accomplish our mission. His mission for his church is simply this. Therefore, go and yeah, 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 make disciples, make disciples, baptizing them. Oh, 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 I, I missed that part. I missed that part. Make disciples of what? Of all nations. That means that the God given task is worldwide. It's global that every single person of every single tribe, kindred, race, color, ethnicity, every language group, every, listen, the gospel needs to go out to every single person such that the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus Christ is revealed to them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what we did today? We're a disciple-making community. All right, so... Why am I getting all worked up about this? I'll tell you why. Because today, the Lord laid on my heart to share with you as remnant people that there are some things that 
are undone that needs to get done, and we're going to do them together. And I want it to strengthen you. I want it to encourage you. I want it to give you. I want it to remind us of who we are. I love you. I care about you. And I just re- I want it to remind us of who we are as a church here at Pathways. I want to remind us of our mission, our values. I want it to kind of give us a vision. I just want to bring this before you today. I want it to strengthen. I want it to say to us, hey, let's wake up together. It's a new day. As Stan Tharp said, our best is yet to come. And so I wanted to give just a, a clarion call. I wanted to give perspective in the midst of maybe some adversity and trials and, and, and maybe some people are tired and we as a church, I just want to say, hey, let's, let's not forget. Let's remember who we're called to and what we're called to do and what we're about. So this is kind of like one of those moments where I just wanted to bring us into the locker room together and say, hey, listen, this is halftime. Let's make some changes and let's go win. Let's go win. All right, are you ready? Here we go. Our mission, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't care how you say make make disciples. However you say it, whatever terminology you use, that's the core idea of what God wants to accomplish through his church to make disciples. What we say at Pathways is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. How do we do that? We do that through our model. Our model is row, circle, chair. Row, circle, chair. These are the three environments that Jesus Christ placed himself in in order to have a growing relationship with the Father. He went to the synagogue on a weekly basis. He had a small group of followers that he poured his life into and that they poured their life into Jesus. And he spent time. He went early in the morning, solitary places, in order to seek the heart of the Father. If it was good enough for Jesus, guess what? It's good enough for you and me. Those three environments are the way that we make disciples. Row, circle, chair. Yes, the question, okay, Adam, so what about our vision? Well, that's a great question. Here's the overarching, the big vision for our church here at Pathways. God is calling us to function like an Acts 2 church by putting the way of Jesus and his life on display in the Fox Valley. You say, oh, Adam, what do you mean by that? Putting the way of Jesus on display in the Fox Valley. That means that all of us get to live like Jesus together in front of everybody here in the valley. Now think about that. Think about that. See, what binds us together is Jesus. You know, one of my favorite things, I love to see you guys when we come to church together. I love that. And I know you love to see each other. And as you get into small groups and as we're doing ministry together and life together. But you know where I love to see you more? I love to see you in the community. I love to see you out there. Because when I see you out there and we connect and we talk, and then, you know what? Because then people are like, man, they are so, why are they so, you know why? Because we're connected. We're together. We're the church of Jesus. We're beginning to put the life of Jesus on display. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Becomes a powerful thing in our actions and our words and the way that we serve and the way that we one another one another. Becomes a beautiful sign of the, uh, the, the display of Jesus' life in the community. Now, I reference Acts chapter 2 because in Acts chapter 2, this vision is spelled out for us. And really, what we do is we pull some values from these next verses. If you have a Bible, go with me to Acts chapter 2. Here's what it says. 
Luke writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. On the day that the church was born, in subsequent months and years to come, this is what the church did. Beginning in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together where in the temple courts. They broke bread in their where? In their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And here's the promise. Here's what God did. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a key passage for us here at Pathways. And what we do is we extrapolate, we pull out four values that drives our decisions, our habits, our behaviors as the people of God, as remnant here at Pathways, four of them, belonging, giving, engaging, and inviting. So let's kind of just walk through these, and I can do this very quickly. The first is to belong, to belong. Pathways Church is about people. It's where people matter to God, and because they matter to God, they matter to us. That's why we want to create this comfortable and warm environment when people come and when they see us in the community where people are accepted, where they're loved, where there isn't a spirit of judgmentalism, a spirit of moral superiority, but there is a spirit of servanthood, of care, of kindness, of mercy. This is the place when people walk into the doors of Pathways Church, they should feel like, okay, I'm at home. It's okay not to be okay. I can be me. This is a place where I am loved, where it's not difficult to turn to God. We should not be a church that makes it hard for people to turn to God. It should be a church where we're removing obstacles such that their hearts can be tender toward the things of God, toward what? The love and the truth of God. The truth that transforms and says, no, I'm sorry, I apologize. This is, this is not the way you need to go. Let's turn this way because this way is going to lead to life and to peace and to hope. We're people that belong. We demonstrate our belonging to one another in small groups and serving teams and caring for and calling and, and checking in and wondering. And, and the degree in which we as the church of God do that well, you know what? We're the answer to the world's loneliness problem. Because loneliness is served by Jesus Christ and is served by the people of God who are in community with one another. We belong to each other because we belong to Jesus Christ. It's not our politics. It's not our race. It's not our socioeconomic status. It is because we are gathered in his name, the name of Jesus Christ. We belong. It's one of our values. The second value is we give. We're a generous church. We're becoming financially generous as a church. That means that generosity is a journey. It begins, it starts, and we grow in our generosity. And generosity begins with obedience. And the biblical term for financial obedience begins with the tithe, 10% giving back to God. We teach and we live that what I possess, what God puts in my hands, what I possess, he owns. He's the owner of those things. And we have a desire to honor the owner by stewarding the resources he has placed in our hands. 
See, whether you're a secular person or whether you're a person who is a believer, a true follower of Jesus, you realize a financial principle, and that is this. If you don't manage your money, your money will manage you. You become a slave to your money. That's why Jesus said, hey, listen, you can't serve God and money. You need to learn to steward that wisely in front of God. That's why we as a church, we give generously, we save responsibly, and we steward wisely. He said, Adam, how, 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 how do I know this? Well, I'll tell you how you know this. Because the last seven or eight months, nobody got on this stage and said, hey, guess what? We're hurting financially. Like, we got to take a second offering. Everybody lock the doors. Did anybody say that on stage? No. Why? Because we give generously, we save responsibly, and we steward wisely as a church. Can I just pull up a chair? Can we have a little chat? chat? It's the value of giving. That's who we are. Now, in the midst of what I just said to you, I want to be completely open. Guess what? That's what you say, what? Guess what? Hey, we lost some givers. Well, why are you smiling, Adam? Because I'm not worried. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. He always has and he always will provide for his work because it's his work. And he does that through you and me. And you know what? This just gives all of us a new opportunity to evaluate and say, God, where are you leading me when it comes to stewarding the resources you've placed in my hands? Because I want to honor you. So what would I say to you? I'd say honor God. The Bible says those who honor God, God honors. And we want to honor him in the value of giving. All right, so belonging, giving, here's the third one. It's engaging. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 4.10, it says that each one of us has been given a gift, skills, abilities, spiritual gifts, so that we can use those to further God's kingdom, to rebuild, to continue to build out what God wants to do here in the Fox Valley and beyond. So use your gift. If you're not using your gift, if you're not engaged, see, this, is, this value is all about moving from a consumer to a contributor, moving from somebody who's just on the sidelines to in the game. To say, how can I serve? How can I be a part? Remember during the fall, Pastor Dennis Episcopo said that the primary role, the, 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 the number one tangible identification with Jesus Christ is a little Greek term said doulos. It's a servant. The closest thing to the heart of Jesus is to serve like Jesus. To be salt and light, as Matthew 5 says. To make the world better and brighter. When we serve, we serve here in our church. We serve outside of our church. We are servants. We will engage. We are an engaging kind of people. And guess what? You're a part of the remnant. There will always be a group of people who are all about making disciples, wanting to follow Jesus and wanting to make more disciples. And a disciple is somebody who wants to know and follow Jesus in order to become like him. Here's the final value. If it's not belonging, it's not giving, it's not engaging, but it is inviting. It's inviting. I want you to quick do a scan of the auditorium. 
I talked about chairs to open up service today. Look how many empty chairs there are around you. There's not a lot, but there's enough. You know, not only should you be concerned about you getting into the row and sitting in a chair, but you know what? We should be praying and we should be passionate and we should be living contagiously. One of our values is to invite more people who have not heard, not even not heard, because everybody, a lot of people in the valley have heard about God, right? They've come from different backgrounds. I'm not talking about hearing about God. I'm talking about experiencing the way of Jesus as it's put on display in a community of people. There's a big difference. There's a huge difference. And see, you and me, we get to invite people. You say, well, Adam, that's a little, that's like nerve. That's, that's nervy. That's hard. That's difficult. Yeah, it is. I get it. And so we want to resource and equip you, do everything we possibly can do, whether it's a card. Do you know that this sits in the lobby every single weekend? A card. Do you know what you could do with these? Every time you go out to eat, you could put it with the server. That's just a simple thing. Just grab all these cards, and every time you go out to eat, you give it to the server. Or when you go to school, you know what I used to do when I was in high school? Because I was so nervous, because I was stepping out of my life of just like legalism and fence walking. I wanted to be one foot in the world, one foot. You know what I would do to invite people? I would just shove things in their locker. I would. I would just shove it in their locker, and they'd be like, Who's all, what was all this stuff? Like, oh, it's kind of it took me until I got really serious about saying, you know what? I don't care what people think about me anymore. I want to live for Jesus. Because when you get so in love with Jesus, you begin to, and it becomes natural. Then you say, hey, you know, we have Easter that's coming up in about eight weeks. Who are you inviting? Who are you praying for? Adam, that's like March. Like, why are we talking about that now? Because we believe that hell is a real destination, and we don't want people to spend eternity facing hell without Jesus Christ. That's why. That's why. Sin is real. Hell is real. We need hope. We need Jesus. And we need to be a part of inviting people. So what's my challenge to you this weekend? That's a great question. Because earlier in the week, I really didn't know what my challenge was. I was praying about the message and how to land the message. And I knew that we were fasting as a group of people. Fasting that God would speak to us individually about what he wants to rebuild in your life. Yeah, he spoke to me about two things that he wants to rebuild. One's pretty private. But there was an area of my life that he spoke to me about just rebuilding the area of my personal finance. Just looking at how my life has changed and how that the Lord wants me to make sure I'm stewarding things in a way that would honor him fully. And so I've been reevaluating some of those things. Been looking at my heart and my life, and I wanted to use this fast to challenge myself around hearing from God. And so I, um, I started praying frequently around growing relationships that every single person at Pathways would take one step closer to God. Started praying that God would renew our hearts. That God would, he would give all of us, if our hearts were a little calloused, he would give us a new spirit to, to take that heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Begin to pray that God would raise up some servant leaders here 
their church, that God would heal some wounds here at Pathways, things from maybe the past or what, whatever it is, just God would do healing physically, spiritually, emotionally. And for the first time in a fasting setting, typically when I fast, I fast food. I, I set something aside and say, you know, I'm just going to do a liquid fast or whatever it is. But this time, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to fast social media. And if I could be completely open and honest with you, when I used to hear that in the past, I, I, for me, I used to get a little judgy. I'd be like, oh, you just don't want to give up sugar and carbs, so you're going to fast Instagram and X. And I would. I, true confession. And so I kind of did some wrestling with the Lord, like, Lord, really? I'm going to fast social media? It's like, yeah, I think you should fast social media. It's like, all right. Well, Monday came, and Monday morning, as my discipline, my routine, I spent time with the Lord and did my chair time. I wanted to walk with him through the day. But what I found by the end of the day, there was probably at least a dozen times when I had, I was trying to pull up social media, and every time I'd be like, oof, stop, don't, don't do that. And then by the end of Monday, the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke to my heart and he just said, hey, if you would have checked in with me as many times as your thumb checked in with social media, just think how close you would have been with me today. I was like, oh. And for the rest of this week, the loving voice of God became stronger in my life because I wasn't distracted by the voices of what would have been on my feed. Like what was being posted, what I needed to look at, what, I, what could I potentially compare myself to or what were, were they doing? And what, listen, no. What am I doing based on what he's telling me to do and who am I being based on who he's calling me to be? By the end of the week, man, there was a sense of like, man, God is speaking to me. Some areas. And by the end of the week, I got to this point in the message and I just... I was like, all right, God, I don't know how to end this message. And God just spoke to me clearly. And he said, hey, why don't you just um, take uh, one of the four areas and just pick one and challenge my people around one of these areas. And I'm like, okay. So I met with the staff. I said, hey, staff, talk to me. Um, here's what I feel like the Lord wants us to do, to challenge, to land on this idea of being servant leaders, to step up, to rebuild. And they're like, I said, how should we do that? And somebody said, oh, let's put a QR code. So here's a QR code on the screen. And we're going to leave it up for just a moment because there are other ways in which we as a staff, we as the body of Christ here at Pathways, we need servant leaders. And so I said, I said, how many do you need? And somebody said, well, I need four. I need this many. I need this many. It, it got to about 47 or so. And I said, let's round it up to about 50. And so today, I want to challenge you to lean in, to use your gifts and your abilities and your skills and maybe a calling. This is a time for some of you, not for those of you who are already serving to do more. I'm not, that's not the challenge. The challenge is for people who are not doing anything to step into the life of this church and say, I want to take a step. Is it going to be perfect? No. Is it going to be difficult and challenging at times? Yes. 
Are you going to deal with some systems that might not work perfectly? Yes. But you know what? There's such a benefit and a blessing and such a gift to give your life away to impact other people. And so what I want to invite you to do is maybe just pull out your phone right now. Go ahead and take out your phone. If, if you need to scan that QR code, you can scan that and begin a conversation. A funnel, a process to have some conversations with other people, other staff members to engage in the life of what God wants to do. Seriously, go ahead, pull out your phone right now. You can begin to scan that. Some of you are like, I have no idea what a QR code is. I don't know how to scan one. I still have a flip phone and I have a rotary phone at home. You can talk to somebody out of Connect, okay? That's fine. Some of you are like, what's a rotary phone? It's when your grandma used to take a pencil and go, okay, one of those? All right, awesome. We're multi-generational. We reach all people here. But you can scan that. You can take that. You can say, and if you scan and begin a conversation, it's not saying like, okay, like just open yourself up to this. Maybe God is moving your heart today. My last challenge to you is if you are here and you want to get baptized today, felt earlier in service that I wanted to make that available. And so if you want to get baptized, you can just quietly go talk to somebody out of Connect. We have uh, things there for you to get baptized, and you can get baptized today. We'll baptize you after service. We'd love to do that. With that being said, I want to pray. And before I pray, in just a moment, one of the ways that we engage and we serve in our community is through uh, Damascus Road. This card talks about praying for women who've been exploited sexually, and it's one of our partners in the valley. When you walked in, there's a table there. You can talk to somebody out there, but you can pray. You can serve. You can get engaged that way. Lots of opportunity, lots of need. The burden is great, but we have a hope and a joy in Jesus. So would you bow with me for a word of closing prayer? God, thank you for your word, the Bible, and thank you for speaking to us through your word, specifically through Ezra and the Israelites, that remnant group of 50,000 individuals who went back to rebuild. God, you're calling us to rebuild specific things in our lives personally and collectively to be a part of rebuilding some things here at Pathways Church. So God, whatever you want to do, we're open. We want to be obedient to you. And as we close this weekend, God, we remember the war in Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray that every single person, every part of the Middle East and around the world would come to know the name, the love, the hope, and the grace of Jesus Christ, the matchless wonder of our Savior. It's to whom we pray in his name. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, listen, if you want to get baptized, meet us up here in about five minutes and we'll baptize you. God bless.